My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickles and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. C. Arden Pope III is a professor of economics at Brigham Young University. He received his Ph.D. from Iowa State University and was a fellow at the Harvard School of Public Health. In 1989, he authored a seminal study on the health effects of air pollution. He has since become one of the world's most cited and recognized experts on the topic. Arden was also my very first and favorite professor at BYU. I hope you enjoy learning from Professor Pope today, because I always do. Arden, it's great to chat with you today. When I attended BYU nearly 20 years ago, your econ class was the very first class I took in the Kimball Tower, and it was also one of my all-time favorite classes. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, you've had an impactful career as a professor, impacting my own life. And as you think back on your academic research and career, are there two to three simple, practical, underappreciated lessons you've learned that you'd most like to pass along to others? Well, well, sure. Uh, there, <laughs> there's a lot, lot I've learned because there's a lot to learn. But uh, one of the most important things, I think, is it's it's easy to think when you're young, especially as you're getting your degree and uh, and trying to plan your career. It's easy to think that you can, in fact, plan a career and plan what you're going to do and where you're going to go. And so one of the most important things to understand is, is that you don't want to get particularly frustrated when things don't go the way that you plan. I mean, I was, a, for example, I was a I was a farm boy, grew up on a farm and ranch, wanted to study agricultural economics, do things related to agriculture. I, I never would have believed that I'd be a professor of economics doing environmental economics and even environmental epidemiology and medical research and that sort of thing. It's not something that, that you could have planned. So then then the the sort of the second thing I would I would suggest is that while you don't get frustrated with with things not going the way you plan, it's a, it's critically important to to latch on to the good opportunities that come your way, even if they even if they result in you sort of veering off of your plan a bit. So it, it's critical to take advantage of the opportunities that you have. You know, latch on to that low hanging fruit and. And 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 use it and do good with it and and make it part of your contributions to the world. And then another um, did you have a comment? No, you go keep going. And then and then another thing is 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 while you do that, do it two things. One is work hard. I mean, just work hard and enjoying it, even though it maybe veered off what you expected. Work hard and take advantage of those opportunities. And while you're doing that, make sure you do it with complete integrity. Be honest, straightforward, and have integrity in, in all that you do. Uh, don't try to take shortcuts. Uh, just simply do the very, very best you can, as well as you can, with regards to the opportunities that come your way. 
So I love hearing these lessons from you. And, and again, it's so fun for me to connect with you all these years later. And I'd like to maybe just briefly go through each of these and, and just share a couple thoughts. Um, you talk about not getting frustrated when your life doesn't turn out the way you planned. I mean, I think back to my career. I was pre-med, um, had a class on shotgun wounds, decided I didn't want to do that, decided to go mm -hmm. to law school, but then decided after I took the LSAT that I wasn't going to go to law school, worked in medical device, worked in real estate, ended up going to law school, ended up not practicing law and realized once I got to law school and had I not gone to law school, I would have never realized how amazing school was because I was always doing sports while I was in school. So in law school, I wasn't doing sports. I was able to focus on school and I realized this is what I want to do the rest of my life. So it was because of law school that I realized I wanted to do a PhD uh, in the PhD. I, I love the PhD and uh, the job that I wanted wasn't available. So I went and did a postdoc for three years. But all of these opportunities that I could have never predicted uh, led me to the perfect job for me right now. Uh, <laughs> as you were thinking back on your career, like how did you end up going from farm boy to uh, economics professor at BYU? Yeah, so again, it was mostly by latching onto opportunities, like I said there. I, I was not a good high school student. And in fact, I was not a good um, college student, at least the first few years. BYU actually admitted me on academic probation. <laughs> And uh, and and I, I, I mean, I'm assuming because my high school grades weren't that that good. And I'm assuming it's, you know, they my test scores were well enough. They thought, well, we're going to give him a chance. And I didn't disappoint them. I remained on academic probation for three full <laughs> semesters. And they were about to, you know, I was I was going to get kicked out of BYU, but I went on a mission and uh, I went to Thailand and I always knew how to work physically. I loved work. But I, I wasn't an academic by any means, but I fell in love with the Thai language and I loved studying Thai and I loved learning. And it was sort of the first time I, I got all excited about learning something, even though I was always a book reader, uh, classroom instruction never thrilled me. So then when I came back to BYU, I was a much more mature person that now had learned how to work doing more, you know, academic stuff. and. Uh, so I, I, I tried various different things. I was in pre-vet for a while. I was in, in uh, you know, and always things related to agriculture. But then I took a course in economics and thought, wow, this is, this is fun. I mean, I, in fact, it was something I, this is something I can get A's in without hardly studying because it wasn't memorizing things. Economics, of course, is, is sort of more almost analytic gymnastics in a way. And so I loved it. I took an econometrics course, loved it. But but so then I thought, I'm going to do agricultural economics. That's my perfect fit, ag and economics. So I got a degree in ag economics. But as I was finishing up, I realized I didn't know anything. I, I didn't feel particularly educated. I thought when I get a degree, I should be smart, but I wasn't. So I started a master's program and I realized Again, it was in ag management. I realized I'm not learning what I need to know. No, I wanted to know, know more. And it was sort of the very last minute I said, I'm going to try to get into a PhD program. So I, I, 
So I, I applied the two, the, 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 there are three top programs in agricultural economics. One was Iowa State, one was Berkeley, and one was Michigan State at the time. And Michigan State and Berkeley never even showed any interest in me. Iowa State sent me uh, application forms and it, it's sort of a long story, but I ended up getting accepted working with a guy as a research assistant, a guy named Earl Hetty, who is one of the most decorated and well-respected agricultural economists in the world. And uh, it was a great experience and and uh, I, I loved it. So I started, I mean, I, I, I was able to do the work. It came fairly easily to me. I graduated very quickly. I got job offers. I ended up taking one at Texas A&M University. I was there a few years. Uh, then BYU called, co contacted me, asked me to apply to a job here. I actually wasn't interested originally. They said, well, at least come out and give us some lectures. And so I did that. And it was in the old agricultural economics department. And uh, turned out I, I, I kind of enjoyed being here again. And so I... We ended up negotiating and they 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 ended up hiring me here and we moved back to Utah. Um and it worked, it's worked out well. I started out, I only was in the Ag Econ department for a few years, and then they merged all of the economists into one department, which was a, a very good thing to do. And it was about that time where I was doing more environmental economics and uh, more environmental epidemiology sort of stuff. Uh, in fact, what happened was I'll t I'll, I'll, now I'm getting long winded, but go for uh, it. Go for it. I love hearing the story. Uh, the the entry I was doing environmental economics, which which is sort of the sub discipline of agricultural economics, so old land economics at the time. But I was doing that, teaching a course in in a, an advanced course in environmental economics that required a term paper, and a and a student, a young woman in my class came up after classes, do you have any ideas of what to write a term paper on? And it turned out that Geneva Steel, which was a big integrated steel mill at the time, it had shut down for a period of 13 months and then reopened. A really nice kind of natural experiment, a very simple, straightforward natural experiment. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, it'd be, everybody's talking about how little Johnny was sick when the steel mill was operating, got well when it shut down and then got sick again when it reopened. I'd be willing to go and help you get the hospitalization records for pediatric respiratory hospitalizations. Let's treat this shutdown of the steel mill as this natural experiment. I'll get you that data and you can write a paper on it. So I did, I got all of the data and she dropped out of my class. <laughs> So I had this data. This is back before electronic transfer, transfers of these data. So I, I had a, these big computer printouts sitting on my desk. I, I'm going to enter that data into my computer and just, I, you know, I was just curious. So I did that. The results were so dramatically interesting. I ended up publishing that in the American Journal of Public Health, and it caused a big stir, both locally and nationally. And... Uh, you know, and so it was, it, 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 you know, it answered some questions, but it asked, you know, it resulted in asking more questions. And I started working with a group at, at, at Harvard School of Public Health and, and uh, ended up going there for a sabbatical and 
continued to do work. And it just that that having this student drop out of my class and me doing this analysis really has resulted in most of the work I've done for the last 30 years or so. Um, and I've had a lot of really fantastic sort of opportunities that I was able to latch on. And 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 I've tried to live by the, the principles I just talked about. You know, when they came, I tried to use them, tried to do it, work hard, understand them well, have integrity with regards to doing the work. And it, it's resulted in a in a career that I mean, nobody could have predicted it would it would, would it be impossible to predict, you know, how, how this has worked out. But I'm not unique in that. Your experience is a similar sort of thing, right? I mean, you really can't predict or plan how this goes. And so that's that's why I always suggest that don't get frustrated when it doesn't work the way you expect it to. But what opportunities you do get, do them well, work hard, and do them, do them well with a lot of uh, rigor and with a lot of integrity. And things should work out fine. Yeah, I love hearing these lessons and and just a, a couple of points that I just wanted to emphasize or, or mention, you know, you found in econ, you could get A's without studying. Uh, so it's like you've got some natural ability. Uh, you don't always have to pursue a career where you have natural ability, but it can sure help. But then, like you said, then you really started working hard in something you had ability at. And uh, you you took that work ethic that you had grown up with and applied it to a different setting. And in, in terms of Geneva, I'm so glad you mentioned this. So uh, before- well, one thing I'm interrupt you though, before, yeah, go ahead. It, it's true. What I told you is true. I thought, oh, I can get A's in this without studying. And that's part of why I went in. But I do want to make it clear. I didn't get all A's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was, I was wrong. I had to study hard and I still didn't get all A's, but that's another story. <laughs> yeah. Great point though. Um, I'm really happy you shared about Geneva. So before we hit record, I was just telling you a couple things that I remember uh, from your class. And one of the things that I still remember was this natural experiment for, from Geneva. So I talk about this, it seems to work its way into every one of my classes because in most of my classes, I end up spending some time on the scientific method and how do we, you know, how do we disentangle correlation from causation and what we run experiments. And let me tell you about this really cool natural experiment that I learned about, <laughs> you know, 20 years ago. Uh, so could you just real briefly share what you found uh, in your natural experiment with Geneva? Yeah. So what we had is we had data for about a year before the mill shut down and for the approximate year when the mill was shut down and then for a year after it reopened. So you have this basically very interesting situation where the, pr the primary polluter in the valley shut down for 13 months and then reopened. And we have the data for the period before, during and, and after the shutdown. And um, then what we did is we collected data on the air pollution concentration. So how polluted was the valley with the, with the mill operating versus when it was closed? And then we collected information on pediatric respiratory hospital admissions. And what we found is when the mill shut down, air pollution was reduced dramatically by about half. And then when it reopened, air pollution went right back up to the you know, roughly doubled again, it doubled when the mill reopened. Then when we looked at pediatric respiratory hospital admissions, when the mill shut down, they dropped by roughly half. And then when it reopened, they they went, went back up. 
And um, now it, it turns out, I mean, we did fancy econometrics and things on it, but it turns out that you can plot the data and just look at them and you go, wow, that's, you know, that's a pretty amazing natural experiment. And the results were amazing. But then you have to ask yourself, well, could it have been something else? Yeah, right. And so you, you try to look to see if there could be something else. And then you could we do, so we started doing panel studies where we were having children keep diaries of their respiratory health and doing pulmonary function tests and looking at changes in air pollution with regards to changes in measures of their respiratory health. And ah, we still see these sort of effects. And then we started actually looking at daily mortality counts and uh, wow, we saw, you know, we saw these, these effects. And then we start doing case crossover studies. And then we start doing these large, you know, survival analyses using prospective cohort data. And, uh, you know, and at some point the, the evidence becomes absolutely compelling that uh, breathing, and, and at first we didn't even know what kind what kind of pollution was causing the problem. So yeah, what, what year was this? I mean, this was, you mentioned it earlier maybe, but what year was this? So the paper was published, the original paper was published in 1989. So the research was, you know, the, the data was for the, the few years before 1980. So basically 1985 through 88 was, okay. was the original work. Uh, but, but then, I mean, then in the late eighties, early nineties, we were doing these cohort studies and time series studies. And then it was in 92 and 93, when I was at Harvard, we were, when I say we, these were studies that were, the data was all collected by the, the, the Harvard six city studies. So by these high, Harvard researchers, and I, I was able to, you know, help with the analyses of that data and interpreting that data. And then that led us, wow, we couldn't believe those results. They were crazy. Again, air pollution was really contributing, not just to respiratory disease, but to cardiovascular disease. So that led us, we, we, we can't believe it. In fact, we wouldn't even submit the paper for publication until we went to the American Cancer Society. Oh, they wow. had a much bigger cohort and we linked that with air pollution data and so I was flying down to Atlanta and working with those, trying to make sure we had that right. So we analyzed that data and got comparable results. And then we published both of those papers in the mid-1990s. And, and uh, then, then all sorts of craziness breaks loose. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's, there's these major reanalyses and and legal challenges. In fact, the legal challenges associated with the with the the the, the PM two point five national ambient air quality standards, based on those time series studies and this work, ended up going all the way to the Supreme Court. Uh, they ruled in two thousand one or so. So at any rate, this just this went on and on, and 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 again, it's another sort of example of I could never have predicted or planned any of that. And from a scientific standpoint, you almost you almost don't want to even try to plan. <laughs> you want to let the data lead you. You know, you just really want to follow the data and follow the results. And when you like for the Geneva study, that when it's done, you go, you got to be a little bit skeptical. Maybe there was something else that happened. And yeah. 
and you, you and you you want to sort of rule out uh, other things. So, for example, with the Geneva study, we only we called it, uh, you know, uh, respiratory health and community air pollution because we didn't have any clue as to what pollutants were actually causing the problem. It ended up we it led us to particle pollution and fine particle pollution and and uh, and so here here's a case where I wouldn't say where I'd say even trying to plan and hold on to your plan would do you way more harm than, oh, wow, let's understand this. Let's look at this. Let's let the data lead us to where we need to go. Let the opportunities to lead us where we need to go so that we can be a contributor, in, whether it be in science or whether it be in business or whatever it might be. Well, I, I really appreciate you sharing these lessons. Um, you know, you could come on here and say, you know, really think hard and, and plan out your life. Um, but you'd likely miss out on so many opportunities. And so I love your framework of don't get frustrated and then just look for the good opportunities and latch onto them and and work hard. Uh, not everyone will listen to this podcast, but certainly a number of people will listen to this podcast who have never heard about uh, your research on Geneva. And this will be something new that they've learned. And again, this lesson that I learned from you has always stuck with me for 20 years. I, I wanted to be sensitive to your time. So I think we should wrap up there because you've already given me a few so more minutes gonna, than I'm I asked say, for. I'm going to say one more thing that I thought of just as Great. you were saying that. Go for it. So many people say, make sure you do what you love. You know, you get that. I've always found that sort of trite because we don't know what we're going to love 30 years down the road. Yeah. I, I would say, love what you do. <laughs> Just find pleasure in, in working hard and doing what, you know, meeting those opportunities. Uh, love what you do rather than try to find something that you love. Great, Arden. Uh, and that's a message that I'm going to be sharing with my kids as well. And I'm going to encourage them to listen to this podcast, share it with my students. I just really appreciate you taking the time, connecting with you 20 years later. And uh, just like before, I love having you as my teacher. So thanks again. <laughs> it's been fun visiting. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mickles and Dimes. It was so great to learn from Professor Arden Pope again. And I love the lessons he shared. First, don't get too frustrated when things don't turn out the way you planned. Arden went from rural farm boy to a college student on probation to an economics professor doing groundbreaking research on air pollution, a path that no one could have predicted. Second, latch on to the good opportunities that come your way. Arden realized he had some natural ability in economics, and he enjoyed it, so he pursued it. And then later, when Arden got data on pediatric respiratory hospitalizations, he latched onto that opportunity and published groundbreaking research that was used by the American Cancer Society, the CDC, and even the Supreme Court. This line of research then became the basis of his research for the next 30 years. And finally, work hard with integrity. Arden had learned to work hard as a farm boy, and then when he served a church mission to Thailand, he learned to apply that same work ethic to learning the Thai language. He then applied that work ethic to academic pursuits and ultimately landed a job as a professor at BYU. I love the lessons Arden shared because he's a walking example of those lessons. Be flexible, latch on to good opportunities, and work hard with integrity. It's a simple idea. Please take it seriously. Nate Mickle here with three quick requests. First, if you would like a quick summary of these lessons delivered to your inbox, sign up for Nate's Notes at natemickle.com. Second, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. And finally, if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on Apple iTunes, I would really appreciate it. 
Thank you for all of your support.